0: What she said on 105.9 The Region, I'm your host Candace Sampson. October has arrived, which means sweater weather, apple pie, and fall colors. As we kick off the month of Thanksgiving, my wish for you is that you get the chance to enjoy the very best this month has to offer. Here's what's coming up on today's show. Iran is experiencing feminist-led protests after the death of 22-year-old Masa Amini at the hands of the so-called morality police. Women in Canada want to help, but it's hard to know what to do. Mary Hattie, a Iranian-Canadian who has been fighting the regime from Canada for 24 years, joins me to share steps we can all take to ensure women's voices are heard and change happens. It's that time of year again, time to discuss the Tata's as Breast Cancer Awareness Month kicks off. So, Dr. Paula Gordon is here to share why all women should get to know their breasts, signs to be concerned about, and how to advocate for yourself. Anne Brody is straight off of TIFF and exhausted, but she still brings the entertainment goods this week with True Story, a comprehensive study of Indigenous history in Canada on the History Channel, Sigourney Weaver and Kevin Kline in the Good House in theatres now, and the long-awaited release of Hocus Pocus 2 starring Bette Midler, Kathy Najimy, and Sarah Jessica Parker. Making friends as an adult is hard. Jessica Painter knows this firsthand after moving to Canada and starting a new life here. The founder of In Her Circle, Jessica helps women find and keep new friendships and shares tips for those searching for a BFF. Everyone loves a good comeback story, but you'll really love the story of Emily O'Brien who set out on a mission to transform herself and make her time in jail as meaningful as possible. Using her entrepreneurial pre-sentence background and experience, Emily birthed the idea for Comeback Snacks, a popcorn brand that creates unique flavors inspired by the ones Emily developed in prison. Finally, Willie Pohl joins me to discuss her children's book, Together We Drum, Our Hearts Beat as One, which aims to bring awareness to the additional barriers Indigenous women and two-spirit people face, as well as the epidemic of missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, and two-spirit people in Canada. It's another full week at what she said, with interviews that empower, educate, and entertain. So let's jump in right now on 105.9 The Region. Iran is currently experiencing a feminist-led revolution against a tyrannical regime. On September 13th, a young woman was pulled from the street by so-called morality police for wearing a hijab improperly. Hours later, she was dead from a head injury. Masa Hamini was only 22 years old. Her tragic death sparked mass protests in Iran with women, along with men who support them, cutting their hair and burning their hijabs in the streets. To no one's surprise, the regime in Iran is responding with an iron fist, killing more people and shutting down internet in the country. Understandably, women in Canada who care about women's rights want to help. But how? Merkot Hadi is a software quality analyst by profession, mother of two, and a human rights activist in the Canadian-Iranian community. For the last 24 years, Mertok has been working tirelessly to fight against the Iranian regime. She joins me today to discuss what we can do to support our Iranian sisters from Canada. Welcome to what she said. I'm going to say Mary because I keep messing up your first name, Mary. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me.
1: Thank you so much.
0: I hope that most people are aware of this story uh, right now. And I feel that a lot of women are, are, are viewing this, seeing what's happening, and are frustrated because they don't know what to do. So what can we do from here to help support our Iranian sisters right now?
1: Well, thank you so much for, for, um, for this program and your attention to, to this uh, very unique uh, uh, situation in Iran. I just have to add to this that this is the continuation of the struggle for justice in Iran. But um, the difference uh, and, and, and its important feature is that it's this time uh, women are directly fighting and leading Um, And this feature has caused the desire for justice um, to eliminate discrimination in all its dimensions. That is, although uh, women's freedom, one of the uh, most important demands of these protests, but it's not limited to. Uh, And on a larger scale, women and men today demand the the elimination of oppression in Iran— and this is something that uh, we would like the women of other societies to be aware of, because we believe that uh, this is an important feminist and women's movement in the history of the struggle for social justice this this is this is what we want actually we want the world to uh, to know to pay attention to actually this unique movement and also uh one of the most important uh, thing that can be done for people of Iran, for women in Iran, uh, it's media coverage. Media coverage now can save lives because the government of Iran, the um, the IRG, IRI, IRI um, Islamic Republic, uh, they care very much about their public and international image. So when the the, the more uh, uh the more coverage that media uh, can offer and they put their uh you know they're on the radar of uh, public opinions and the the the, the countries uh, uh the head of countries uh, the less people get killed in the streets they actually uh, they they actually um at least gets a lot less suppression and brutal killing in the streets they 're watching, so it 's not going to be like what happened in two thousand and nineteen that 's the most important part i'm glad you brought up two thousand and nineteen uh, because
0: you know what, that this has happened. I went back and did some some reading on this and I and um, read about t- the uprising in two thousand and nineteen. The internet was shut down. i don't recall hearing about this in mainstream media in Canada at the time. Uh, it feels different this time, I think, largely because of social media. How much is that playing a part in the awareness of this, of what's happening in Iran right now?
1: Well, um, you know, we had social media in 2019 as well. But the, the government, they shut down the Internet and they started the killing. We, um, it brings so much, uh, so much emotion, it's a bitter um, days and nights from that those one week that one week that uh, we don't even know how many how many thousand people they have killed there are no names we don't know how many how many people they ki- they killed we still don't know so the difference is actually actually the difference is because this the media started covering that that the thing that i mentioned before the internet they then they started to shutting it down, but it's it's less. And as they started opening it, because the world started noticing, the media started covering this. The, and as soon as this was done, the uh, the pictures, the videos by mobile people in, on the streets, they started coming to the media. So they knew they were, they got more aware that this is serious, and uh, this is what is happening in Iran. So. The, the The difference is last time before the media no knew about it, they shut down the internet and uh because there was nothing coming from inside Iran, they never talked about it and that's why they but they were able to kill but this time that's the big difference and of course, because internet is not completely shut down and the the technology is more uh advanced now, and they might have um like in near future, the government won't have that power to completely shut shutting down the internet. That's that's how social uh, the social media can help, and uh, well, actually, it's gonna be the major reason, if any. The revolution happens in Iran, it will be social media. So women in
0: Canada need to keep the pressure on then uh, sharing on social media, informing their friends.
1: What about protests? Are there pro- organized protests that women can go to? Well, we, ha- we have had. I, I was one of the organizers, the, the protests in front of uh, CBC building. Um, within 24 hours, we were able to organize the the gathering, and it was like 1,500 people at least there. And uh, there have been a lot of um, gatherings, protests, but we're going to have actually this coming um, October 1st, we're going to have the, the, one of the biggest one, but we ha- we're having the PS752, uh, the association for um, PS752 families. Uh, they're having a very big rally in Ottawa on October 4th, which is another the association that has been pursuing the justice for the victims of uh, PS752 flight. Uh, that was like 53 Canadian citizens on that flight. And IRGC shut down. And we believe that it was intentionally shut down. So... Uh, these these gather, this rally the October fourth was organized about a month ago, but this started happening. To your point, it's very important for us. What can help us is pressuring media, pressuring the uh, uh, politicians to take side, to put pressure to Canada to take a more firm and a leading role to ask their allies. To close their embassy, the Iran's embassies, or calling the ambassadors, or um, calling for pressure on Iran, as we have to keep this inter the, we have to keep the internet open. As soon as the internet is done, we're done. People of pe- and they're gonna start butchering people. So what, what, what? The help that we need is from people canadian people other communities to be with iranian on the protest and uh writing letters there's a letter to um canadian politicians which is on the link is on ps752 justice.com so sign that letter send that letter it's just used you, st- you enter your name and your email and the letter is being sent to your mp uh, or you can assist it to any other politicians, and uh, to to make sure that we want IRGC, who's killing the people on the streets of Iran, uh, to be recognized as a terrorist group, and um, the PS-75, take Canada, take a more firm uh, stand uh, for PS-75 to and taking the, the, the case to ICAO or icc these are these are serious things that it's not just impacting iranian canadian this is this is this, should, this is canadian issue these people irgc families and their people are coming and living freely in canada they they the people who are killing the people the on the streets they come to canada with a lot of money not clean money, and they are living freely in Canada. We want that to be stopped. The people, Canada should find a way to recognize these people and not to let them enter the Canada, N- not let them to live here freely and bring their dirty money here because that's impacting Canada's economies too, you know, there's so many things, so many aspects to, to, to everything is happening. It's, it's a big impact. On everybody, I believe, entire world. This what's happening in Iran, this tra- transformation led by women, it's a unique, unique um, change, and it's it's important. It should be important for the entire world.
0: It absolutely is, I, Mary. I I can't thank you enough for joining me today. I know you are so busy organizing, planning, gathering people, informing. Uh, we're going to share as many links as possible through our social media. Uh, we'll have le- notes in the liner notes of the podcast when it goes out as well for people to connect with you and uh, keep up to date with rallies and uh, the letters and so on. Uh, but in the meantime, for people listening on the radio, how can they connect with you?
1: Well, we are in the process of uh, uh, making websites and uh, uh, creating Facebook uh, groups and events. Uh, but for now, uh, I would suggest to send uh, me emails through my personal email, mehry__hadi at yahoo.com to let me know. And as soon as these uh, links are created, I will send it to them. And one more thing I want to add, the big help that Canadian can do is become a member of PS752 Justice uh, Association. Uh, to give them a voice for justice, um, Canadian, justice for Canadian, Iranian-Canadian. And uh, that's that's absolutely important. That's very important to have uh, as many possible members for this associ- association.
0: Mary, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me.
2: More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 1059 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 1059 The Region. Oh.
0: It's October and that means it's time to talk about the girls, the tatas, the melons. That's right, ladies, it's breast cancer awareness month and who better to join us to discuss than Dr. Paula Gordon. Dr. Gordon is clinical professor in the Department of Radiology at the University of British Columbia, a fierce advocate for advancing physicians, other primary providers and women's knowledge of breast health and screening options including supplementary screening for women with dense breasts. Dr. Gordon's mission is for as many breast cancers as possible to be detected early to give women more options for less aggressive therapy and to reduce breast cancer mortality. Welcome back to the show, Paula. Thanks, Candace. You know, since meeting you, I have to say I have never felt my breasts more. Uh, and I love that because you talk about knowing the texture of your breasts. So what does that mean, Well, the term breast
3: self-examination has gone out of fashion, and women are told to be breast aware and go see their doctor if they notice any changes. But how can you notice if there's been a change if you don't know what your normal feels like? And the fact is, each woman's breast texture or lumpiness, if you want to call it that, is unique to her. So a woman who does periodic breast checks, if you want to call them, breast self-exams, is going to be quickly more expert in what her normal is than even her doctor. And so you just have to do it uh, the very first time. You have to assume it's normal and get to know your own texture. You start right up at the collarbone and you go all the way down to the crease underneath the breast and right from the sternum, the, the breastbone and out to the side. And if you do that occasionally, you don't have to do it religiously. Uh, you'll very quickly get to know what your normal feels like. I recommend for a women who are still having periods to always do it when you're just finishing your period because it's completely normal for breasts to feel more sore, tender, and lumpy if you check just before your period.
0: All right, excellent. And so as we know, we're feeling around, we're getting used to our own breasts and the texture in it. Does is is any change going to feel like a lump or could it feel different? That's such a good
3: question because not all breast cancers show up as a lump. Uh, sometimes it can be some uh, puckering in the skin or dimpling or sometimes the skin gets thickened and it looks like the skin of an orange. In fact, there's a really good uh, website, knowyourlemons.com. And if you have a look at that, it's a, a carton full of lemons and it shows all the different potential signs of cancer. And um, it, sometimes it's just a one area of the breast that feels firmer than the tissue around it. It's not even a
0: discrete lump. So when we say any change, we really mean any change. All right. Now, I know that it varies from province to province. So maybe you can shed some light on this. When should women be getting screened? We have
3: data to show that starting screening at age 40 saves the most lives. And um, for your listeners in Alberta, they've got that. They can do that already. In uh, Ontario, women cannot go to the Ontario Breast Screening Program called OBSP until they're age 50. But the guidelines are not well-known to a lot of doctors. Even a woman goes to her doctor, they may not know. And in fact, if a woman is not eligible for the OBSP, she is allowed to ask her doctor to give her a requisition for a mammogram. And the doctor's perfectly allowed to do that. But some doctors don't know, and they may resist. And we hear stories about women being denied a requisition by their family doctor. If you need uh, some help uh, knowing what to say to your doctor, you can go to another website, mybreastscreening.ca, and it'll actually instruct you on how to talk to your doctor. Talk to your doctor.
0: Uh, last year, I had my first uh, mammogram, and it came to light that my, I have dense breasts. I did not know this. And so there are uh, categories for that, Correct.
3: Correct. So radiologists, and this is just by looking at the picture of the mammogram, you can't tell by feel, you can't tell by size. The only way you could know if you have dense breasts is by having that first mammogram. And we divide breasts into four categories, A through D. Categories A and B are considered non-dense. Categories C and D are considered dense. But here again in Ontario, there's a little bit of a glitch. And that's, that Ontario is only referring to the women in category D as being dense, which is misleading to women in category C who are really dense, who have the risks of dense breast tissue, which I'll come to, because they're not told. So they assume I don't have dense breasts. So you can ask your doctor, the actual category doesn't come in the letter to you, but your doctor has a letter from the screening program saying whether you're A, B, C, or D. And the two risks you have to know about are that When you have dense breasts, you're at a higher risk to get breast cancer, and you're at a higher risk that your cancer will not be visible on your mammogram. So that's when breast self-exam helps, and that's when additional screening with ultrasound also helps. And that's something women should request from their doctors that they get sent for a supplemental screening ultrasound. And again, the advocacy help is on mybreastscreening.ca.
0: Do you want to know why I know that this is always such an important interview to do with you? Is that because when I found out I had dense breasts, I knew I needed to get an ultrasound. So that is directly because I talked to you. And so I hope that other women are are absorbing this information today because it's very important to know the density of your breasts and how often you should be getting examined and to advocate for yourself. That's crucial. Absolutely. And
3: I've already mentioned uh, the website twice. MyBreastScreening.ca, but another important
0: one is DenseBreastsCanada.ca. All right, Dr. Gordon, it's always a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much for joining me today, um, and I encourage women to go out and find out the density of their breasts. <laughs> Thank you
3: for sharing this important uh, information with your listeners.
0: Joining me now for Saturday Night at the Movies is Anne Brody. And this week, we, just in time for National Truth and Reconciliation Day, True Story is out. Anne, tell me about this.
4: Well, the History Channel has it. It's a wonderful documentary. It's so beautifully made. It doesn't point fingers. um, And it looks at, uh, it's a comprehensive study of Indigenous history in Canada uh, before and after colonization. Um, And I don't know if you know the sky myth, sky woman myth of uh, the Hodenese. It's a woman in the sky who discovers earth and discovers the animals and um, creates the world as we know it and all the indigenous traditions. Well, of course, you know, uh, people have been saying, well, no, that's not how it happened. They came over on the Bering Land Bridge from Asia. So everything that the... uh, Indigenous people had set for 23,000 years that they lived here that they can prove through various uh, evidence like birch bark scrolls, maps, songs, healing techniques, petroglyphs, totopoles, wampum belts, and oral history goes against what they, what they had in place because of, of the white invasion and diminishment of the Indians. I did not know that um, there was a bison genocide in order to starve the Indians. Anyway, but it's not, it's not horrific. It's more like an academic lecture with incredible visuals and interviews with all these wonderfully knowledgeable people. Um, and, you know, it, after it goes uh, through the arrival of the Europeans and the way they stole the land with treaties, um, then the residential schools come up. Uh, it's just very thorough very much an eye-opener, and I would highly recommend it to everybody.
0: Yeah, I have to agree. I mean, I think, uh, you know, it's incumbent upon all of us to learn this, uh, since we probably didn't learn it in school. Most of us didn't. No, we didn't. did not. Uh, and, uh, and it looks like a great way to, uh, to educate yourself. So that's available on the History Channel, correct? Yes, it is. And it's so good. I just want to emphasize it. Okay, perfect. Uh, Let's move on to The Good House, because I kind of clapped with glee when I saw Sigourney Weaver and Kevin Kline. This looks so good. It's their third movie together. (laughs) Oh, I had no idea. Yes, and
4: it's supposed to be set in Wendover, Massachusetts, but they shot it in Lunenburg, Nova Scotia. So that beautiful little town. I don't know what it looks like right now, but... uh, so Sigourney plays a real estate agent with a bit of a drinking problem. She says that she was born three drinks less than comfortable. So it, it impacts every aspect of her life. She rekindles an overall romance with Kevin Klein, who's the local garbage man and also the wealthiest man in town. Um, uh, she has a complicated relationship with her kids and winds up financially supporting them out of guilt. Because they had to keep sending her to rehab, and it never took. Uh, so a crisis comes up at the end. It's just so beautifully acted. The the setting is just breathtaking, and I love these two together so much. And I hope they do it again.
0: Yeah, I, I honestly, it, it really does look like a great a great film. So I'm I'm looking forward to that. Sorry, where is that one available Ian? in theaters? Perfect. Okay. God's children. This, this looks like the ultimate uh, dilemma for any mother to be in. Oh, yeah, I'll say. Well, I'll just set it
4: up to say that it's set in a very, very poor uh, oyster and fishing community on the coast of Ireland. There's nothing else available to anybody. So, you know, it's, it's a hard scrabble life. And this family's getting by. Emily Watson plays a matriarch. Um, uh, she's caring for her father with dementia, her abusive husband. It's, it's kind of ugly in a way. Her son suddenly shows up from Australia after five years of zero contact. She wonders why, but in any case, um, you know, the, the villagers go to the pub every night, that's what they do. So he starts there, he's reinstated into the community, um, and he's accused of sexually assaulting a woman. Well, the police call in emily watson's character she says oh no he was home with me so she's sitting on a dilemma she knows darn well everyone in the village knows that he is guilty so that is the moral question faced by this woman of tremendous faith in in the church in god and here she is at this moral morass and what does she do so uh, the turnout is really interesting. The way it, it, it resolves, um, really quite an astounding film. Very emotional. And it's in theaters
0: and EVOD. Excellent. Now, I think we have to end today's show with probably a movie that most people are going to be extremely excited for, Hocus Pocus.
4: <laughs> yes, it's on Disney+. Plus. It continues 29 years later, and they have some of the same cast there, which is incredible, like the side cast. Obviously, Bette Midler, Sarah, Jessica Barker, and Kathy and Jimmy are there because the local witch store owner accidentally conjures them up by giving a candle to these three young teenagers who are obsessed with the Sanderson sisters. So, Yes, they come back, and their job is to eat children. So the girls have to um, stop them. And it's very much in terms of the Salem view of things. It wasn't actually shot in Salem like the original was, but it looks so good, so 16th century. Bette is, of course, off the charts fantastic. Her theatricality is just hysterical. Uh, So they... They have many clashes, and I'm not going to tell you the rest of the plot. I will say, however, that it's light and jolly, despite its, you know, satanic witchcraft stuff. But at the end, it takes a really dark turn. So just be prepared for that. But Oh my God, I love Bette Midler so much.
0: Okay, wonderful. Well, you know, the original Hocus Pocus has a bit of a cult following every year. So I'm really interested to see how this second one's going to play out. Uh, And thanks so much. You have much more over on What She Said Talk, including a review of a documentary about Sinead O'Connor, which we can't get into today, unfortunately, but people can go over to the site and and catch it. Plus uh, many more. So thank you. And we'll see you next week. You betcha. Thank you. (laughs)
2: More with Candace Sampson and What She Said coming up on 1059 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 1059 The Region.
0: friends as an adult woman is difficult. Throw in a pandemic which only heightened our feelings of loneliness and we're staring down a bit of a crisis when it comes to women and support networks. Jessica Painter is the creator of In Her Circle, a community for women to help them fight loneliness and to help them build authentic supportive circles of friends. They aim to create a grace-filled space where all women, regardless of age, are welcome to come and build new connections. Jessica joins me now to discuss what it takes to make and keep a new friend. Welcome to the show, Jessica. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I came across your your social platform and I was immediately intrigued. And I think largely because I posted a video uh, with a group of my friends and overwhelmingly the comments I received were. How do I get a group of friends like that? And it really hit me that women are lonely and struggling to make meaningful connections with other women.
5: Is this your experience? I didn't realize that it was a common problem until I started talking to other people. Um, I moved to Canada from the US. I moved here for love. And when I got here, I didn't know anybody other than my husband and my dog. I was working from home and I just felt very isolated. And I started trying every trick in the book that I could find to meet people. And it was quite the journey. But once I did create a circle of friends for myself and I started sharing my own story that's when I started hearing other women that it's actually a very common problem that we really struggle as adults making friends.
0: Yeah, I think I always knew that. I mean, it's easier when you're a child, obviously, you're in school, it's a social setting, you make your friends. And then, you know, you become an adult and, and you're, uh, you're, you're not in those same settings anymore. But I think The pandemic has actually made it much, much worse. Uh, That's what I'm getting and hearing from women. So let's talk about what it takes
5: to make a friend and keep a friend. The pandemic has um, thrown quite the curveball. I've talked to a lot of people. There's a lot of hesitation now about meeting new people because they have um, fears about not being accepted because... The world is very polarized now so like what if we don't believe the same way like can we still be friends that is a question at the top of a lot of people's minds um people are more comfortable staying at home and don't really feel like they need to try anymore um but it does take quite the time investment to make new friends um it, studies have shown that it takes about 40 hours of time invested to create a casual friendship. And it can take up to 200 hours to create a close friendship. And so that's a lot of time. And when you think about it, when you were growing up in school, you were always around these people. And so it may have felt easier to make friends when you were um, going to school versus as an adult, because you had a lot more time around people, like that consistent time. Whereas now as an adult, we have a culture of busyness where you, it's a badge of pride to be busy, to be exhausted, to not have time to take care of yourself. Um, and I think that's a huge problem when it does come to friendship, because it's more viewed as a luxury than a necessity.
0: Absolutely. So, I mean, women, I think the first thing they wonder is, well, what do I need to do or be to
5: be a good friend? Um, One, I think you need to be, both people need to be emotionally available, um, which means you really need to make sure that your heart is open, that your walls are down, which can be quite challenging. And it's very similar to dating. So, (laughs) <laughs> um, where both people in that relationship, they need to be emotionally available. They, you need to be um, on that same level, like ready to receive that relationship into your life. Um, you need to pursue friendship. Um, it needs to be persistent. Um, if you really click that first time meeting, you really need to um, follow up and make that coffee date or whatever the shared interest is. Right, and I love that you say friendship is an action. That I think
0: that's key. I think that's something that people really need to understand: is you have to do things <laughs> to maintain a friendship. Uh, you have to schedule it in your
5: calendar, just like you would schedule in a doctor's appointment. Really. Yes, exactly. Um, I think a lot of people say, "I'm lonely and I want friends," and that's it. There's no actions behind the words, and. Um, Yeah, just with anything you really want in life, you have to pursue it. Right. Now, let's talk about common misconceptions then that women probably have
0: when they're struggling with, you know, making new friends and so on. What are some of the misconceptions you hear?
5: Um, I think the biggest one is women will say, well women are catty, they're mean, they tear me down. I've been hurt by women before. So I don't need women friends. And they really focus on um, the negative and maybe the times that they've legitimately been hurt by a female friend. I mean, that can really be sometimes more heartbreaking than um, a romantic relationship coming to an end. And I think with that is you can't let that prevent you from creating that kinship for yourself. If you allow heartbreak from the past to kind of cloud this idea that you can't have women friends in your life, then um, you're not going to be able to, I don't know, I just feel like you're really missing out on something beautiful. Because we can have friendships with men, definitely, but they're not going to understand us as well as a woman would so tell me then how in her circle works well um we have all sorts of different ways to get involved and um, we have a facebook group we have um uh, we just started a meetup group where we do small intimate dinners like around the city um, we also host events. And then once or twice a year, we do like all day retreats. So there's all sorts of ways to kind of get involved. And um, the purpose of all of our events is friendship and connection. And we really focus on that the whole time. And what's some of the feedback you're receiving then from women
0: who are attending your events or joining your group? Are they making friends? Are they being successful in this pursuit?
5: Yes, I have received so much positive feedback. Um, I've heard that people would look for groups that maybe are focused on a hobby or this or that, or one woman was like, oh, I found a group on Meetup that embodied all of my likes, but it was for women 50 and up that I'm 48, like I'm not there yet. Um, and this group really um, welcomes women of all ages, all life stages. And, um, yeah, it's just, it's been really great. So you're currently located in Alberta. Do you have plans to expand? I do it. I really just need, um, people who love to lead, who love to connect to hit me up and (laughs) help with that because unfortunately I can't be in a hundred cities at once. So. And I think women will listen to,
0: listening to this are going to say, sign me up, because there is nothing quite like having a supportive group of, of female friends. I certainly can attest to that. Uh, I love that you say friendship is a platonic love story. Uh, that is so very true. Uh, and as you say, if you're not in love with your friends... Uh- <laughs> Why are they still in your life? Right. (laughs) Uh, So I I love that. Uh, Tell me then how people can connect with you if they want to get involved, perhaps
5: start up a chapter in their community. How can they do that? Okay. Well, you can find us. um, Our website is inhercircle.ca. You can find us on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook. It's all inhercircle.ca. Thank you so
0: much for joining me today. Uh, I hope women uh, really do take you up on this and, and and join your group to find out more about making friends in their area. Thanks so much, Jessica. Thank you.
1: That's what champions are made of.
0: After being sentenced to a four-year prison term, my next guest set out on a mission to transform herself and make her time in jail as meaningful as possible. Using her entrepreneurial pre-sentence background and experience, Emily O'Brien birthed the idea for Comeback Snacks, a popcorn brand that creates unique flavors inspired by the ones Emily developed in prison. Through her trailblazing efforts, Emily is an example that positive change can happen with correctional institutions with passion, drive, and a positive mindset. She is determined to help remove the stigma surrounding people with prior convictions, as well as give them opportunities for reintegration through training, empowerment, and education. She joins me now to discuss. Welcome to What She Said, Emily. Thank you. I have, I I came across you on TikTok and I love your story. It was just so great to see it. It's just such a wonderfully uplifting comeback story. Oh, thank you. So
6: tell me, when did you start this business? So this idea actually, well, I guess I started it in prison because that's where I was at, like the lowest of my lows and you know i honestly i had a great family great everything um but there was one thing that i wasn't immune to and that no one is immune to and that is struggle and potentially using substances to cope um and so when i was in prison uh like it was a, basically I, I got caught up with this person that i was dating uh, in an, an international country um and had to bring drugs back over the border and so in prison i was like i know i can do something good i know i can do something Better, that makes a difference because I am bound and determined to fight for myself and my future. And yeah, one answer, but (laughs) start it in prison. What was the first step then for
0: you in your comeback story?
6: Accountability. And, you know, obviously, you know, whenever things go wrong in our life, we are kind of very easy to jump the gun and be like, oh, it was someone else's fault. And of course, there were other factors that, you know, landed me there, but I didn't really start moving forward until I took responsibility for the things that I could have done differently or handled differently.
0: Yeah, accountability is such a weird thing, isn't it? You know, it's one of those things that we dread doing, we struggle with it. But then once Mm -hmm. you do it, there is this sort of immediate relief, uh, like a load Mm -hmm. is taken off. Did you find that?
6: Absolutely. And also my desire to have like revenge, like my, once I abandoned my grudges, everything changed in like the blink of an eye. And I realized that I did have the power to control my future, and I didn't, as soon as I basically stopped blaming other people, um, and put my future in, back into myself. That is when i when I really start to see growth and passion um for myself and other people, for what I was doing next. When you look back on the past, now, do you do you mm-hmm.
0: cringe or do you look back at it with uh, with a a different, I guess, perspective
6: and and take the the key learnings out of that? I would definitely say that looking back is one of the most important things you can do, um, because you have to remind yourself of all the good things that you did. So, looking back, I was able to look back on you know my. My jobs and my resumes and pictures of me in grade five or six volunteering and planting trees and just being filled with so much love all the time. And so looking back definitely helped me reinforce that I knew who I was despite what other people said that I was at the time, Um, which was, you know, you're a criminal, you're a convict, your life is over. And there's something called labeling theory where people just tell you what you are all the time. You start to believe that. But I knew that I wasn't that. Um, so I think looking back for sure was instrumental in moving forward. Well, aside
0: from, you know, making tasty treats, uh, how is Comeback Snacks helping others?
6: So when I was in prison, I knew that finding a job and proving yourself worthy in the corporate world was going to be difficult. Um because that's just the way that things are. Like, the world is changing slowly. But, yes, I I knew in prison that I wanted to help other people, including myself, reestablish their lives, reestablish their confidence, um, discover their talents and skills that may have been blanketed by the shame that comes with a prison sentence. And so Comeback Snacks was born with the idea to support people finding employment and that was basically like the best job i've ever had because it was based off lived experience and that was something that was honest
0: yeah i love that and i love how you say that you know one of the most important assets that a person can
6: have is owning their story and you have certainly done that yeah oh thank you so much i mean there's a lot of things that we can own in this day and age that can be taken away you know Um, a house can be taken away. Um, your phone can be taken away, your pets, your kids can be taken away. And a lot of things were taken away from me when I went to prison. But when I was in prison, I realized no one could take away my own story as long as I controlled the narrative. And part of that narrative, we can, you know, circle back to accountability and responsibility, ownership. And it's like a house that you build yourself, um, that only you have the key to, um, but that other people actually help you build and invest in to help it appreciate over time. And that's where we are today. Incredible. I want people to
0: be able to connect with you, obviously. Order some comeback snacks. I believe you deliver over the Internet, correct?: Yes. Yeah, Awesome. So uh, where can people find out
6: more about you and order your snacks? Of course. So the number one, I guess, space is our website. It's comebacksnacks.com. And through that link, you can find our locations tab. Uh, in Canada, we're in the almost 700 stores and we ship all over North America. And on my social media, it's at Comeback Snacks or at emz.obrian.
0: <laughs> Amazing. We're going to put all of that in the liner notes when this goes out on podcast. Emily, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you.
1: How I miss your ranting. Do you miss my all?
2: More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 1059 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 1059 The Region.
0: Paul is a proud Métis author from Sault Ste. Marie, currently residing in Prince Edward Island, who has spent the last 10 years working in Indigenous education. She is extremely passionate about supporting Indigenous youth to reach their dreams and reclaim their power. Together We Drum, Our Hearts Beat as One, is Willie's first children's book and brings awareness to the additional barriers Indigenous women and Two-Spirit people face, as well as the epidemic of missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, and Two-Spirit people in Canada. Welcome to What She Said, Willie.
7: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: I am curious because this seems, you know, just reading that, it seems like very heavy subject matter in a children's book. So how did you bring that together so that it's impactful for young children?
7: Absolutely. Absolutely. It is. um, It does sound quite heavy when I say that I wrote a book that focuses on missing, murdered, indigenous women, girls, and two-spirit people. Um, But largely, it's kind of viewed in the imagery more than anything else. And I think that you can really sort of take the story at surface value or dig deeper into it, depending on where your child is at. So Really, we have a story about a young Indigenous girl who goes on an adventure and she encounters a monster who takes the form of racism and hate. And she's able to kind of defeat that monster um, through, you know, ancestral connection and through the power of matriarchs um, and all the Indigenous women and two-spirit people who, who, you know, encountered these issues before her. And so it really kind of shows the resiliency of indigenous women and girls um, in a way that I think is super beautiful in a kid's book. And I love it.
0: <laughs> so tell me then, how, what is the age range for this book?
7: Yeah, I would say anywhere from like four to eight. Um, I think that it's told very like poetically and in rhyme. And so I think it's just a really piece, like great piece of poetry for anyone, really. I really enjoy reading it. But I definitely think, yeah, ages four to eight um, is kind of the the target audience there.
0: I think every author has a goal when somebody reads their book to elicit a feeling when when they're done. So what are you hoping... That children feel when that book is finished.
7: Yeah, I think that I largely wrote the book for Indigenous children. Um, I think that like you know all all backgrounds can read the book for sure and still absolutely love it. But for me, like I wrote the book with Indigenous kids in mind. I work with Indigenous kids every single day, um, and that's kind of where my heart is. And so for me, I wanted them to feel just super powerful and to read it and realize that even if they're you know, growing up in the system and even if they feel like they don't have a connection to their culture or you know, through intergenerational trauma in the residential school system, they may have lost a lot of their culture. And that even though they might not feel connected, that just they are. They are still connected to their culture. They are Indigenous enough. Um, and so I really wanted them to feel kind of this, this power of feeling connected and being connected to something and knowing that you have a voice and that you are strong and powerful and, you know, that you can take up your space.
0: As important as the words are in a children's book, the illustrations are obviously very important and the artwork in this uh, is quite stunning. Can you tell me a little bit about it?
7: Absolutely. Yeah. I think that um, for my first children's book, I had really no idea what I wanted for art, um, Often, are like often authors will give notes about what they'd like on each page, and I had nothing. I had absolutely zero ideas, and Chief Ladybird just like took this book and made it completely her own, and it became so much more beautiful than I could have imagined. Um, and I think working with Chief Ladybird has been just you know one of the greatest greatest partnerships and friendships of my life. It's been a lot of fun and she's so, so talented. And I just, I still can't believe that, you know, I got to work with her.
0: <laughs> do you have plans already in your mind for your next book?
7: Um, Yeah, I do. I do. I'm actually working with Bailey Macabre um, to do a book called Minnow. And it's about um, Indigenous kind of environmental rights and land sovereignty.
0: Very timely. Will that be a children's book again?
7: It is. Yes. Yeah. It's a kid's book.
0: <laughs> Excellent. I love it. All right. So I want people to be able to find you, uh, you know, get the book, obviously, and keep up with I feel like you're going to have a lot more books all the way. So I want them to keep up with you on social. So where can they find you and find the book?
7: Absolutely. Um, you can follow me on Instagram at Willie And pug do Life, um, and you can also kind of follow my website. I do have like a blog on there. I post a lot of updates. And that's just willypoll.com. Um, and yeah, you can buy the book pretty much anywhere books are sold. It's online for order at like Amazon chapters um, in person at bookstores.
0: Well, considering it's October that we're doing this, I, I mean, I realized that the holidays are, you know, a couple of months away. But Uh, order now, I would say, (laughs) for that gift under the tree, because uh, it's going to creep up on us the holidays. So Willie, thank you so much for joining me today. It was a pleasure to meet you.
7: Absolutely. Thank you for having me.
0: That's it for What She Said this week. Stay up to date with our newsletter by signing up at whatshesaidtalk.com and be sure to follow on social at What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for videos of these interviews and more. You can also catch me on TikTok at Candace Said. Finally, be sure to subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson on Apple and Spotify to catch past episodes and extended podcasts. I'll be back next week with another What She Said on 105.9 The Region.
2: Previous episodes of What She Said on 105.9 The Region.